going to be totally honest with you today. Tell you I am completely unprepared. Had a busy week. I put this sermon together Monday. And as I'm looking at my notes, I don't remember any of it. Papers are sticking to my feet. Just going to be one of those Sundays. We're going to get through it. It might not make any sense. We might rabbit trail a lot. Normally when I rabbit trail, somebody gets offended, so it's a good thing we're in a series called No Offense. I'm a lot less offensive when I'm planned and I'm calculated. I need your help this morning. I don't need you to be humble. I know none of you are humble. That's why you attend Action Church. But you all do a good job of faking it on a Sunday morning. I don't need you to be humble. I need you to be truthful. How many of you, by a show of hands, would be honest today and say, you know what? You're probably smarter than the average person. Raise your hand. Don't lie. Deep down, you know you're smarter than the average person. If you're watching online today, I want you to go in the chat room and you can go in there and type, I'm smarter than the average person. Just put a smiley face, do whatever. I mean, you're just that person. You, you, you just know something. You, you're just a little bit smarter. Maybe you're that person and you're just a better driver than everybody else. Like everybody else is an idiot behind the wheel, but boy, you know how to drive. Anybody like that? Christine, you better raise both hands. Christine, stand up. Just stand up and wave both hands. Yes. Man, think you're a better driver than most people. You think you're a little less sinful than most people? Like you know that they're sinful, but they sin different than you sin. So therefore, you know, you're a little bit better than them. The reality is, is when it comes to our issues, it's easy to look at other people's issues and ignore our own issues. Well, we tend to think that we've got it a little bit better or a little bit smarter than everyone else. Now, I can't speak for all of you, but I can speak for myself. And here's the deal. I know that I'm above average. I know that I am smarter than most people. Obviously, I am better looking than most people. Obviously, I'm in a so much better shape than most people. I mean, we live in a world where I see where people stand on certain issues and I, they're just dumb. Like, like, I look at them and I think, how can you be that stupid? Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit sarcastic right now but not fully sarcastic. I mean, if you want to know the right theology, you just come ask me because I know it. You want to know the right way to manage your money? Come ask me and I'll tell you. You want to know how to have a good marriage for you to have a good marriage? I'll tell you how. Because I know the answers for all of your problems. I didn't say I know the answer to all my problems. But by God, I know the answer to your problems. I can tell you what you should believe about anything and everything and make no mistake about it, I will be right. Because I'm smarter than the average person. 
You want to know what the Bible says about the end times? I'll tell you what it says about the end times. You want to know what the Bible says about spiritual gifts? And I'll let you know the correct interpretation of spiritual gifts. Women in ministry, I got all the answers. I'm here to tell you today that like so many of you, because I had you admit it before I admitted it, I tend to think that I'm smarter than the average person. And I'm really good at showing you why you're wrong. I can show you the right approach on just about anything. I can show you the right approach on capitalism, the vaccine, bearing arms, abortion, sexual issues, gender issues, capital punishment. What other controversial things can we talk about today? I know the right answer. And right now, no one's amanning me because I sound incredibly arrogant. And I sound incredibly know-it-all. And while so many of us don't have the testicular fortitude to stand on stage and actually announce the things I just announced, the reality is with the way we live our life and the attitude that we carry, that's exactly how we feel. We're right. They're wrong. We're going to talk about that today. But I did want to tell you all the things I knew first because I wanted you to sit back for just a second and bask in the glory that is me. And yes, it's exhausting to be this right all the time. We're now done with the sarcastic part of the sermon. I want to push you a little bit today. I want to get you out of your comfort zone a little bit today. There's nothing I love more than getting up on this stage, and I think I'm about as good as they come at taking the Word of God and making it very simple. There's a lot of smarter preachers than me. There's a lot of deeper preachers than me. There's a lot of preachers that can take the Word of God and break it down in ways that I can never break it down, but I have a gift to take the cookies and just leave them on the bottom shelf where everybody can get some. I love getting up here and taking the Word of God and making it simple on how you can apply to your life. I love making you laugh when I teach. I I love cutting up with you. I love bragging on Jesus. But today, it's just going to be a little bit deeper type message. And I want to push you a little bit today because if I'm not pushing you every now and then, I'm probably not doing my job as the pastor of the church. I want you to think outside the box a little bit. I want to give you a little context of the verse before we get started today. We're going to hang out in Luke. We're going to jump all around, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 18, probably about, I don't know, the ninth verse over there. And you got to understand that Jesus is surrounded by all these people everywhere that he goes. And he's surrounded right now by a group of people that would really fit in good in today's culture. They were a group of people who were always right. They knew everything. Their goal above anything else, and do not miss this, their goal above anything else was not to be loving. Their goal in life was not to be teaching. Their goal in life was not to be God-honoring. Their goal in life was simply to be right. 
And I hope what you see today is you can be right and still be wrong. They were right in a lot of their stances. But they were so wrong in how they went about their stances. We know the things they believed according to the Bible were right. But they were arrogant in being right. They thought they were smarter than everyone else. They thought they were better than everyone else. They thought they were holier than everyone else. And in verse 9, Jesus told this parable. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So I like that. He's sitting here with a group of people, and he said, hey, to these people who are so cocky, so arrogant, like I was just a few minutes ago on the stage, that they're caught up in their own righteousness, that in their rightness, they're looking down on everyone. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. We're going to stop right there real quick. Two men go upstairs, they go up to the temple, they go to pray, one's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. Now, if you don't know about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were people who, don't miss this, outwardly were very righteous. They looked the part. They dressed right. They had the right haircut. They knew the right lingo. When everyone else was around, they followed the rules. They would pray loud prayers in public where everyone would look at them and be amazed. They followed 613 different laws that they made. <laughs> we, can't get, we can't follow 10 nowadays. They were outwardly righteous. Dare I say they look like a lot of people who got up this morning, took a shower, drank their coffee, put on their best clothes, got the family all dressed up or they're picturesque, and went off to church this morning. And on Sunday morning, they act like, they, matter of fact, not even on Sunday morning did they act like they had it all together because they had World War III on the way there. But for an hour and a half from the time they pulled into the parking lot to the time they left, boy, praise God, brother, we are blessed and highly favored. Boy, they were playing a part. So the Pharisee goes up and the tax collector goes up. Now you got to understand, tax collector in this time there was no one who was more despised than a tax collector. Because the tax collector could do whatever they wanted to do. If the government demanded 10% of the income, the tax collector could come along and demand 25% of your income, and they would keep 15% and pass on the 10%. They were crooked, crooked people. I like how the Bible talks about sinners and tax collectors. Like it signifies that like tax collectors were a different level of sinners. The church kind of does that today with homosexuals. Sinners and homosexuals, you know, like we got to classify it to a different level because that's our hobby horse issue nowadays. Did I say that? We're going to get to that later, by the way. 
They were classified in a different way. Sinners and tax collectors. Like, they weren't even good enough to be classified as sinners. They were despised because they didn't hide their sinfulness. They made no bones about the fact they were crooked. They were visibly unrighteous by the Pharisee standard. Don't miss that. So the Pharisee goes up there. The tax collector goes up there, and the Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And this Pharisee had big gonads. Like, I mean, like big gonads. Because, like, he said, and even this tax like, he's praying out loud. He says, thank God I ain't like this guy. God, I know, man, I thank you that I am not like faith. I know I'm bad, God, but man, at least I ain't like her. God, I got up this morning, I just want to thank you that I am not like Bubba. So much thank you, Lord. Like, I mean, that's kind of what he's saying here. He just called, thank God, I am not like that tax collector. Then he starts bragging on himself. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. God, in case you didn't know because you're all knowing, look what I do. He really wasn't talking to God. He was talking where others could hear. I know none of y'all do that. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, what man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a powerful story right there. By the church's standards in this day, the Pharisee was right. The tax collector was wrong. Jesus looked at him and said, though the Pharisee's right, he's wrong. He looked at the tax, or, excuse me, he looked at the Pharisee and said, he looked at the tax and said, though he's wrong, he's right. You can be right and still be wrong. It's interesting to me that the Pharisee saw himself as righteous and the tax collector as wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. But to Jesus, don't miss this, it wasn't just about right and wrong. It was about pride and humility. You can be right and prideful. And it makes you wrong. And we live in a day and time where so many of us think we're right about everything. And the problem with us thinking we're right about everything is now we have outlets to express our opinions like never before. I'm right. I can pull out my phone in a matter of 
30 seconds of writing a post, I can have that post go to every social media outlet there is. I'm right, look at me. And God forbid you roll up in my comments and start disagreeing with me because I'm going to get prideful and attack you. Or God forbid you post something and be wrong. I'm going to come on your post and make sure I know you know you're right or you know that I'm right. We can be prideful in our righteousness. I want to talk to you today very simply, and we're going to get out of here quick. That's a lie. On this subject, you're not as right as you think. I am concerned with the church and those who call us Christ followers that we become very prideful in our righteousness. And in doing so, we have pushed people away from the gospel instead of drawing people to the gospel. We become arrogant and we're not as right as we think. We live in complicated times, amen? I mean, let's just be honest. It, it can get tense out there over some issues. This series has kind of been a tension-filled series. I've got more DMs during this series than I have in a long time. I've had more people. It's funny. I can watch people on my timeline who won't admit they will listen to my sermons, but they're writing their, their vague booking about my sermons. Heard a guy this week say, blah, blah, blah. Well, no joke, you idiot. It was me. Just tag me in the post. Promote me. Don't complain about me without naming me. Good or bad, just spell my name right. Man, it's been a tension-filled series. We have people on opposite sides of issues fighting and arguing. And as Christians, if we're not careful, it's, it's real easy for us to slip into our own righteousness and our own spiritual pride. Because it's hard not to get prideful when you're right. We know what the Word of God says. We know the truth. I'm not discrediting the fact that this book was left for us and this book is full of truth, but in our truth, we have to stay humble. In our truth, we can't sin. And when we enter arrogance and pride, we become sinful. When we start pushing people away from the gospel, not because of the truth, but because of our arrogance in the truth, we're hurting the cause of Christ. I think sometimes we think as Christians that our only job is to be right. And the problem is we get really dogmatic about issues that people have been debating for years and the reality is even if they're in their book, we don't know if we're right or wrong. There's very few things that I'm willing to go to war over when it comes to this book. 
Mainly the only thing I'm really going to go to war with you over is Jesus Christ came to the earth. He lived a sinless life. He gave his life to pay the penalty for my sins. He conquered death where I can have eternal life, not through my works or my good deeds or how much money I have or where I go to church, but what Christ did. I'm going to debate with you on that all day, draw my line in the sand, the rest of the stuff, man, I don't know. We major on the minors. I have opinions on a lot of stuff about this book. But I hear other people's opinions and I, they back them up and I'm like, man, that makes sense. I don't know. I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven. I told you the story about the person who called here one day and I knew we were not the church for them. They said, hey, I'd like to talk to the pastor. I said, you're talking to the pastor. I said, we just moved to the area and we're looking for church and we want to know where you stand on the end times. When that's the first question, we are not the church for you. There's a big debate in the church. It's called pre-trib. Pre-trib means that we as Christ followers will be taken out before the tribulation comes. There's post-trib. Post-trib means we will be taken away. The rapture will occur after the time of tribulation. The church and Christians have been debating this topic for years, and they both make great arguments, and I get it. He said, I'd love to know, are you pre-trib or are you post-trib? I said, we are pan-trib. I could hear it with silence. He said, I've never heard of pan-trib. Enlighten me. I said, we believe it'll pan out in the end. <laughs> Click. They say, I don't think they ever visited our church. Now, here's the thing. I've studied the Bible, and I have opinions on pre-trib and post-trib. I know where I think I stand on it, but I'm not breaking fellowship with someone over that. I don't know if I'm right. Find out when I get to heaven. But people will go to war over that, prideful, ruin relationships over that. I think we think as Christians it's our only job is to be right. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be right, and nothing else matters. We preach truth. So we're right. And because we think we're right, we get offended by those that we think are wrong. And we find ourselves getting offended by anything we think is not right. And if we live offended long enough, what happens is, is an offense starts to settle in our hearts. And the offense simmers. And the offense starts to grow. We become angry and we become bitter. Anybody ever met angry, bitter Christian? That is spew venom from their mouth? It's dogmatic about being right. And that offense then grows to contempt. Don't miss this. And then instead of hating what someone does... Or where they stand, without us even realizing it, we begin to hate the person. Church has always used this stupid cliche, and I get it. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. The reality is we're all sinners. The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, like, we all fall short of the glory of God. Who's a sinner? You. Oh, and me. 
Jerry Lamb, king of sinners. Jump on Facebook and Google my name one time. You'll find it out. I'm pretty sure I did something this week that made the news. I don't know what it was. But I'm sure it happened. Bubba and I went out at 9 o'clock Friday and grabbed pizza. Ran into somebody I knew hadn't seen in years. Went over and hugged her neck and met her husband. And I walk away. And I hear them say, that's the pastor at Action Church. And I heard the other couple say, oh. <laughs> We've heard some things about Action Church. I just smiled and ate my pizza. I don't know what they heard. I don't care what they heard. Their opinion of me is none of my business. And it don't matter. I could have looked at them and got real spiritual and probably could have been technically right and handled it real wrong. It's never a good place for us as Christ followers start having a hatred towards people because of what they believe. People are always evolving. We, I believe some dumb stuff in my life. I still believe some dumb stuff to some people. But Christians, though, Gary, but we're right. Someone told me that they said, aren't we supposed to be guardians of the truth? I get it. But in being a guardian of the truth, we've got to stop being offended by those who we think are wrong. Because when we're offended by their beliefs, a hatred begins to fuel in us. We begin to think it's our job to assess people. It's not our job to assess people. We think that we have the authority, because we're right, to determine the hearts of other people. What are you talking about, Gary? You know what I'm talking about when you meet someone, you're like, oh, he's an okay guy. But he's into himself. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like him, but we got to point to things that we don't like about him instead of just focusing on the things we do like about him. Talking to a pastor friend of mine, I don't have many pastor friends, but I was talking to a pastor friend this week about this sermon. He said, I don't understand the points you're trying to make. And I said, the point is, in the truth, we need to be loving. He said, no, we just need to be truthful. The problem is I don't see that in the book. And I'm going to break this down for you later. In truth, we have to be loving. What's the old adage, nobody cares what you know, do they know you care? That's been the church's problem for so long. We've went around just shoving truth down people's throats instead of building relationships and connection with people. The old Baptist way of going door-to-door, -door, I don't know if you remember, we used to call it door-to-door -door soul winning. When I was in college, we had to go door-to-door -door soul winning. Say, what's door-to-door -door soul winning? Thank, you should thank God if you've never had to do it. Lou, say amen, because I know you've done it. Go in these neighborhoods, you knock on the door, they're hey, I'm Gary. I'm from such and such church. Now, you don't know these people, they don't know you. And before they can shut the door in your face, hey, can I ask you one question? Sure, hurry up, or I can go. 
you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven or would there be some doubt? I don't know this person. Now I'm asking about eternity. They're trying to slam the door in my face. They're trying to go eat with their dinner. Hey, 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 listen, I know you got to go, man. Can I just get you to pray this prayer? Not put your faith in Christ. I would not, I would not you don't say that. I just want to say a prayer. I was the master salesman, boy. In Bible college, man, I always won, like, we won competitions for this. Like, it was real godly. <laughs> it's amazing. You used to have to run bus routes when I was in college. You picked up kids on school buses. You used to put all this stuff if you had the most kids on the bus. I used to, like, I used to do crazy stuff to get kids on the bus. Like, my big thing is I'd swallow a goldfish. Don't ask. I don't know why. I tell the kids, man, if you get 100 kids on this bus, I'll swallow a live goldfish. And they would do it, and I'd swallow this goldfish, and I'd always win, and everybody couldn't understand why I'd win. I'd bribe them with pizza and all kinds of stuff. It was real godly. It was just basically trying to distribute truth with no relationship. I've told you about the time I picked up the hitchhiker, right? Picked up a hitchhiker. I'm arrogant. I'm in college. Kids hitchhiking. I pick him up. We're driving down the road. I'm like, I'm going to win this kid to Jesus. This is going to be a great story because I didn't care if he got one to Jesus. I just wanted the story. I wanted to prove I was right. Didn't ask the guy anything about him. Didn't even ask the guy's name. Didn't ask where he was headed. Didn't ask why he was needing to be hit, picked up as a hitchhiker. Didn't take time to get to know the guy. We're driving. We haven't talked. It's been about a quarter of my state. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, man. You're die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven? Or would there be some doubt? So he thought I was going to kill him. He thought I was a serial killer. Man, are you about to kill He literally had, are you about to kill me? No, I just want to know, man. I swear, if I'm lying, I'm dying. We get to the stop sign, he jumps out of the car and takes off. I'm thinking, I'm just trying to give this guy truth. But I miss the love. And that's the problem with us as Christ followers. The Pharisee knew he was right, but he was arrogant in it. And we have the truth, and we become arrogant in it. We forget that every single one of us are screwed up, messed up. We forget that every one of us are in need of a second, third, fourth, and fifth chance. We forget that our sins are no less than anybody else's sins or better than anyone else's sins. Just because someone sins differently than us, doesn't make their sins bigger. We get arrogant in it. We're all sinful. Our hearts get prideful. And then we delight in the times that we're proven right. Like, I, I remember, man, I, I, I'm not saying this in an arrogant, bragging way. I, I, I'm saying almost in a shamed way. Like, I remember during the whole COVID thing, I had a stance on it. It affected my life, and I, I, I had a very strong stance on it. But then I would take delight when people I knew got COVID. Because in my mind, it validated that I was right. So here I am, the validation that I'm right, and they're over there sick. How arrogant. How disgusting. <laughs> I was right all along. Arrogance in our truth. And then they got the vaccine, they'd have had COVID four times, idiots. Like delighting in the fact that they're sick. Becoming arrogant. And the truth, our hearts are wicked. We're easily deceived. 
And as much as we may think we're right, we've got to be careful about our approach. The problem is our approach discounts our rightness. Jesus is the only one who was perfect, and you're not Jesus. There's nobody here in this crowd. Well, we know there's no one in this crowd. You might be watching on television or internet right now. You might be in Michigan, Nebraska. I, I don't know where you're at. You're not right. You're not perfect. We're all screwed up. None of us are Jesus. He's the only one who was perfect. He was sinless. Don't miss this. He was the only one who had a right to be arrogant in his perfection. The Bible literally calls him the way, the truth, and the life. He was truth. The only one without sin. Yet as you watch the life of Jesus... He never became prideful in his truth. Matter of fact, those that were less than perfect were literally drawn to him. Though he was perfect in every way without blemish, those who were imperfect, full of darkness, full of secrets, full of sinfulness, were drawn to Jesus. The truth this. The truth doesn't repel people. How you convey the truth does. Imperfect people were at ease around Jesus. Four great examples of it. Jesus went to parties where sinners flocked to him. They enjoyed his company. They loved being with him. Everywhere that Jesus went, the Bible says there was multitude of people. Jesus was the life of the party. Yet he was perfect, yet those that were imperfect were drawn to him. I love the story of the prostitute who comes around Jesus. And she was so moved by the love and grace and the glory of Jesus that she knelt down to worship him and she began to pour her expensive perfume and wash his feet. Imperfection, judged by society, and yet this perfect Jesus, she was drawn to him. How about the tax collector? I just told you about tax collector. He's hanging out in a tree. Just where you can get a glimpse of him, Jesus sees him and says, hey, come on down, I'm coming to your house to eat today. The person that no one else would have anything to do with, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to come to your house today. How about the woman who, who couldn't seem to hold her relationship together? The Bible says she basically went from bed to bed, man to man, and Jesus just loved her and offered her living water. Jesus was perfect. He was truth personified, and yet people were drawn to him. I've got a guy on my Facebook page, and he's, probably knows the Bible as good as anybody I know. He knows his interpretation of the Bible 
as good as anybody I know. And he's the most vile, disgusting, hate-filled person I've ever experienced in my life. Talks about women like they're lower class. He, he's so disgustingly hateful towards the gay community. He, he, he's so horrible against other pastors in this town. You say, why do you follow me? I, like, I literally, I'm not even being arrogant when I say this. I think he's such a menace to our community that I follow him just to hear what he's saying because I want to know who he's going after at any moment. He's going to end up on the news one day. He's despicable. But he always says this, and he always ends every rant like this. And that's the truth. If you don't like it, I didn't write it. He's arrogant in his truth. I would love to sit him down one day and say, seriously, how many people have you drawn to Jesus through the way you go about things? I guarantee the answer would be none. I would say he actually repels people from Jesus. But he takes pride in it because in his mind, in his truth, he's right. Don't miss this. The issue is Jesus didn't make people feel wrong. He made them feel loved. I, I, I want to read to you what I consider probably one of the most important verses in the New Testament. John chapter 13. It, it, it's so key. I, I need to give you a little bit of context before we get there. I, I want you to, to grasp what's going on here. And it says this in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. So he knew that his time on earth was about done and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So don't miss this. Jesus is with these people. He's with the disciples. He knows his time's coming and he's loving them to the end. His last breath on earth. Jesus is doing what he does, loving. You've got to understand the context of this verse to understand the seriousness of where it goes. You've got to understand how important the context is. His time is coming to an end. Have you ever been around someone who knows their days are limited? Their perspective changes. What's important to them changes. They don't waste words anymore. They don't waste actions anymore. They want everything to be intentional because they know it might be the last thing they get to say. So he knew the hour was coming to an end. He knew that he's been faithful to what God had told him. He knew that he's about to give his life on the cross. He knows the clock is now ticking. And the Bible says he loved his own. I love this. He loved them to the end. He's sitting around the table. They're sharing a meal. They're doing life together. He's creating relationship with them. He's loving them. And he gets up and he takes his outer robe off and wraps it around his waist. 
And he gets down, he begins to wash everyone there. That's what slaves did. You came into someone's home, the slave came in, he cleaned up your feet. Yet Jesus, as his time's coming to an end, wanted to show the importance of being a servant to those he loved. And then he says something that should change our perspective on everything. It says, my children. I, I like this here because if you go back to the original language, every time Jesus addressed the disciples... It was always in a camaraderie type way. It was in a brotherhood type way. This is the only time in the original language where he, he refers to them in a fatherly type way. In a caring way. My children. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said, I'm going to leave. You cannot come where I'm going. Look what he says. A new command I give you. That, that literally means, in, 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 the, in the original language, that word new, it means fresh. It means not worn out. What he says, I'm going to give you something new, not something you've heard me say over and over and over where you ignore it. I'm giving you a fresh command. Love one another. Not be right with one another. Not always lord over one another. Not be prideful with one another. Not be arrogant with one another. Not be attacking with one another. Not draw your light in the sand because you're right with one another. Love one another. Don't miss this. As I have loved you. How did he love them? He had just been down on his knees washing their feet. One of them there was going to deny him and betray him, Judas. As I've loved you. You think Jesus agreed with everything the disciples did? No, they fought all the time amongst themselves. Who was going to be the right hand? Who was the, his favorite? He didn't agree with everything they did. He didn't agree with everything that they went about doing it. You think he agreed that Peter was a hothead? That Thomas was always doubting? But he loved them. Love one another as I have loved you. Then he reiterates it. You ever have to reiterate something twice to your kids? Without them even doing something wrong, you just do it because you want to know you're serious? Hey, go clean your room. Hey, I said go clean your room. That means it ain't open for debate. He said, so you must love one another. Don't flip to that next verse yet, Xander. Because 35 is the shocker. It's the pipe bomb. It's the end of discussion. He said, new command I give you, love one another. He doesn't even mention be right. Because loving is more important than being right. You're saying truth doesn't matter. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying loving is more important than being right. Loving is more important than truth. Because if you love one another, when you get to the truth, it will be in a loving way. 
love as I've loved you. He lays it out there. Then he hits it again, love one another. And then verse 35, by this, by what? How we love one another. Not complicated. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Boom, let me reiterate it again, if you love one another. How will they know you're my disciples? By being right. Nope. How will they know you're my disciples? By praying nonstop. Nope. How will they know you, that you're my disciples? By knowing the scripture backwards and forwards? Nope. How will they know that, you, that, that, that you're his disciples? But by standing up and proclaiming truth? Nope. By loving one another. As the world watches us, they watch how we love and how we love should be the example of whether or not we're following Christ or not. I don't agree with that. Take it up with God. I didn't write it. I don't care if you agree with it. I still love you. But Gary, I need to blah, blah. I get it. I love truth. I love being right. Nothing makes me more happy than being right. But I'm not called to be right. I'm called to love. So you're not as right as you think you are if you're not right with love. Does that mean we can't debate people? No. Not what it means. Does it mean we can't stand up for what we believe? No. Not what it means. Does it mean we cannot proclaim the truth? Not what it means. What it means is, are you doing it in a loving way? Are you doing it just to be right? When you get online and you begin to attack people based on who they vote for, are you doing it with love? Are you doing it just to be right? When you get online and you attack people because of who they choose to love, can you back it up with truth, first of all? But are you doing it with love? When you want to get on there, oh, I'm going to offend some of you right now, boy. Some of you need to get as passionate about love and communicating Jesus as you are defending this country. And I love this country. Like, I, let me tell you, proud to be American. I, I'm not ashamed of our country. That seems to be the kick of embarrassing to be. No, it's awesome. But my faith is not in my country. My faith is in Christ. And if your faith was in Christ like it should be, you wouldn't stress so much about what goes on in our country because you would trust Christ is in control. And just because Christ is in control doesn't mean it's always going to go the way you think it should go. Because the Bible says in this world you will have trouble. We have this fantasy. The problem is that so many preachers on television are saying that once you follow Christ, we're never going to have problems again. 
Bless God, I'm going to tell you a little funny joke today. And when you love God, it will be great. It'll be like walking through a field of sunflowers, and there'll be unicorns dancing around you. But when they pass gas, bubbles will come out of their ass, and it will be amazing time. And that's what a life of following Christ is like. It's not what the Bible says. You've bought into a lie. A lot of things that I don't like, people ask me all the time, how do you deal with this? I say, man, I trust Christ. Either I have faith or I don't. Doesn't mean I like this. It's not what I would choose. But he's either Christ or he's not. How will they know if we love Jesus? How will they know if we follow him? How will they know if we're his disciples? They won't know we're his disciples by what we're against. They won't know we're his disciples by who we vote for. I literally heard a preacher get up the other day, and I actually liked this preacher. And he said, if you vote Democrat, you can't be a Christian. What an ignorant comment. Like, what an ignorant comment. I'm not saying, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to get political. I'm saying, what a nigger comments. <laughs> Man. He says, we'll know his disciples by how we love. So the question becomes, why do we not love others like Jesus did? And I think the answer is obvious. Because we're prideful and we're more concerned with being right. We're concerned with right and wrong. And Jesus was concerned with pride and humility. We feel morally superior because we're right. We think everyone else is a loser because they're wrong. We get cocky and arrogant in our rightness. We get prideful in our rightness. And it's hard to be prideful and loving. Jesus was the most right person there ever was, yet the least judgmental person there ever was. Think about that. He was right. Yet so loving. For us, it's easy. I'm easy to look at you and say, who are we to think we're perfect? Who are you to judge? Jesus was perfect and still didn't judge. I, I like the woman who was caught in adultery. We talked about that a, a few weeks ago. The name of the players of the, the Pharisees were there. And I guess by their laws, the Pharisees were technically right. They were ready to stone the woman. By the way, I'm not even going to get on this hobby horse. Ain't it funny they mentioned the woman, but they never mentioned the man who was just as wrong? Ladies, say amen. It's okay. Man sleeps around town. He's a player. Woman sleeps around. She's a whore. Think we got a double standard? Mm -hmm. Awfully quiet. 
We'll leave the man out. Though. I don't know. We ain't going to bring him up. Jesus walks up on the scene. According to the law, who was right? The Pharisees were right. Jesus gets down on the knee and starts writing in the sand. No one knows what he was writing. But it says one by one, the Pharisees begin to walk away. I don't know if this is true, but I like it. They say they believe Jesus one by one just begin to list their sins. Oh, Jim. <laughs> I know what he's doing. Jim's like... Oh, Charles. <laughs> no, he was doing last night. Let me ride out here in the sand. Charles like... You've seen that, that the little thing on uh, Facebook where it's Homer Simpson walking out from the bushes, and he just walks right back into the bushes? That's what the Pharisees were doing. He said, Stoner. First one of you that's without sin, Stoner. All of a sudden, Jesus looks up, he got done right. I don't think Jesus even acknowledged they were walking away. He's writing. Ricky. Also, he looks up and is like, oh, where's everybody else? They said they all walked away. He said, okay. Perfection personified, yet nothing but loving to this lady. It was truth overwhelmed with love. He looked at her and said, don't go sin anymore. What would have happened if we just started loving people right where they are. You know the problem with loving people where they are? It's messy. You get hurt. It's a lot easier to judge them. It's a lot easier for me to put my wall up. I'm going to pick on David for a minute. How many of you love David Westrick? How many of you think David Westrick is a godly man? I do. I, David Westrick is one of my personal mentors in my life. How many of you think he loves Jesus? Loves God? How many of you think he's a good dude? Probably more good than bad. He is. He's all those things. But we can all get in the flesh sometimes. Had a guy come around here one time. David comes up to me right in front of Sierra. Boy, Sierra calling his crap out too, boy. They said, I mean, he's a good guy. I just don't like him. Why don't you like him? Well, because of blah, blah, blah. Looked at David. I said, well, didn't you do blah, blah, blah? And then Sierra just lit into him like, Bruh. I just got like, back, back. I like Homer Simpson in. I went back into the bushes. I'll never forget what David says. He said, yeah, you're right. I, he said, I'm wrong. We all, we all fall into it. The flesh, man, it just does it. It's easier to be right than it is to be loving. My wife tells me this all, I think I've grown a lot in this area, but early on in our relationship, you are right. She tells me in situations, you're right. But the way you're about to go handle this situation with that person is wrong. And you're going to handle it in a way that it's going to ruin our relationship with that person and they're never going to care if you were right or wrong. God, I hate when they're right. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, and I'm done, we're going to go home. 
If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He just covers it right there. You can be right all day long, but if you don't have love, all they hear is bam, bam. It's just noise. You know how many of you speak truth, but everyone's just tuned you out? You're actually alone. You've come to me. I've heard some of you say, man, I just feel like everybody's walking away. Yeah, because you're an ass. But you're right. Congratulations, buddy. You still could have been right had you been loving. Being loving doesn't negate being right. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I have nothing. Think about it. He said, if I have such strong faith that mountains literally move, but I don't have love, I don't have anything. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Like there's a lot you can argue with about the Bible. You cannot argue. Now, you cannot believe it. You cannot believe the Bible. But you cannot read the Bible and not understand that the major theme throughout the Bible over and over and over is love one another. Regardless if they look like you. That's what's amazing to me is how much racism is steeped in the Bible. How stupid do you have to be to interpret the Bible says you should hate somebody else based on their social standing, their sexual preference, or the color of their skin? Did your mom drop you on your head when you were a kid? I don't understand it. Love one another. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Book's all about love. Even when you're right and they're wrong. Gotta love. Like, y'all get a not y'all don't get offended. But people get offended by some of the four-letter words that I use on this stage. But it's almost like the most offensive four-letter word in the church is love. Because we love to spit it, shout it, scream it, holler it. But we sure don't like to live it. So the issue is not whether you're right or wrong. Because this is the truth. The issue is, are you being loving and humble in your rightness? They don't want to hear the truth. I I haven't found that to be true. I'm going to be honest with you. Haven't found it to be true. What I have found to be true is many times they don't like the harshness in which I was conveying the truth. I love the quote from Bono, the lead singer of U2. He said, man, I love Jesus. I have no problem with him. He said, it's his followers that I have an issue with. 
But how can that be? We should be magnifying what Christ did. Christ was perfect. He loved. It's not complicated. So in your rightness, make sure you're being loving. Because if you're being hateful in your rightness, even though you're right, you're wrong. 